You're listening to In Good Company with Hugh Byrne, a podcast about living consciously, making healthy choices, cultivating the power of awareness, and bringing mindfulness to our work and our lives. Today I'm talking with David Hinson. David is the president of Brooklyn Capital Partners, a financial advisory company that focuses on mergers and acquisitions, and was also the national director of the Minority Business Development Agency under President Obama. He was a presidential appointee in the U.S. Department of Commerce. David spoke about challenges in his career, speaking of how in business and in life we we can enter the valley of death that kind of a crucial time where we you know we can either move in a a direction that leads to greater well-being of greater success or that we can dissolve or not flourish and fall by the wayside as it were one of the key themes that david speaks to is personal integrity He speaks about that in relation to President Obama and in his own life, as well as the importance of beliefs and having core values, really, that inform his life and his work. The focus, really, of the podcast is on mindfulness, on awareness, on how self-awareness can support us in our journey in business and in life. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love if you could talk to us about your journey, about you know what is important to you, um, what are some of the values that are at the center, but maybe first of all, just talk about what you've been doing over mm-hmm. these recent years, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of take it from there. If- Sure. Well, first, thank you. A little bit about yourself. Yeah, first, thank you for allowing me to be here. My background has been, for the most part, in financial services, working with entrepreneurs at different stages of their genesis. I uh, worked most, I, I sort of had an interesting career where I spent some part of it in corporate America, worked at Morgan Stanley, ran a sales team at Bank of America worked with a company at, at its infancy, a company called InvestNet Asset Management, that's now gone on to become, I guess, $80, $90 billion in assets under management. So I've had a chance to see how large corporations work as well. I've worked on launching companies, actually launched an asset management firm, grew it to a little over $100 million in assets under management and advisement, and subsequently sold that company. Prior to joining a young man by the name of Senator Barack Obama on his journey. Uh, when did you start? Um, uh, let's put it like this. When I started working with uh, then-Senator Obama and former President Obama, he wasn't even on the ballot in Iowa. So he was so far behind. And mm-hmm. by and large, smart people, people who said that um, um, they had political experience and you know, long tenures in, in, in government and politics, pretty much said that this man had no chance of winning. Uh, and so there were people like me and others who saw something special uh, in his particular uh, brand of, of government at this particular time. 
And for me, it was just as simple as believing if I could ra help him raise money and if he had the money to compete, then he could mm -hmm. compete effectively and win and win. And, you know, uh, that was an interesting experience because, again, you start out when many people said there's no chance. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one of my cousins uh, jokes with me said at, at one family, at one Thanksgiving, I said, you know, he's going to become president long before and then everyone said no this is impossible and so i got the uh i got the bigger turkey leg that thanksgiving because i uh i picked correctly that's wonderful and what 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 did you see that was special in him in those early days that yeah. kind of kind of got you behind him something? um a, a number of things first uh actually sort of full disclosure i knew his wife before they actually got married uh, Michelle Robinson mm -hmm. and you know she has and continues to have a very strong moral compass it's a small group of people and at that time no one really knew that you know, that he would become president but certainly strong moral compass certainly um, very thoughtful um, you know he was a, a constitutional law professor right. uh, at the University of, of Chicago right. um, so he was so he had you know a strong academic theoretical foundation um, quick thinker, um, but I think probably two of the things that jumped out that were most important were he sort of funda fundamentally believed in the intellectual capability of the American people, uh, and he was a very, very, very good listener, and I think he a trained listener, um, and on any journey, my experience has been that those people who really have the ability to listen uh, to their audience, whether it's their political constituents or their customers or their team, and really have the ability to listen uh, and not feel like they have to de defend, but more so absorb. Mm -hmm. Those people, in my experience, have come up with sort of the best approaches uh, to achieving their goals and come up with the winning models. Is that something that you felt that you had yourself or is something is that something that you really learned from people like president obama and others who who have that sense of uh, kind of a that inner you could maybe call it integrity that inner compass that yeah um, i openness. think yeah it's an interesting question because i think that those attributes are things that you continue to develop mm. you know those for me fall under the lifelong learning title um I've worked hard to be a good listener, um, but it's always something that you can improve. I don't think it's it, you ever really get there. But I can say that um, sort of listening to not just what's said, listening to what's not said, mm -hmm. um, is an inherent competitive advantage that I don't think most people, at least in the business space, focus on as you know a meaningful skill. And it's, um, how many people did you have working under you when you were at the national, uh, the yeah. minority business development? It was, it was, I ran a 50 uh, unit um, structure. Uh, yeah. We had operations all around the country. It was a very small unit. Yeah. Uh, we punched way above our weight. So, mm -hmm. so when I came in, we were doing, um, uh, I think about a, couple billion dollars of economic output into the U.S., uh, two billion. Uh, when I left, we were doing five billion. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, I think we had 
nationally 300, 400 people that were engaged in this, uh, engaged in this effort. So it was, it was small on any standard, but the impact in terms of the economic impact for the folks that we were working with was pretty substantial. In terms of your own um, work and your life and the balance between that, what, what have you developed habits that have been helpful to you? you we spoke a little bit beforehand mm -hmm. about um, doing a, a kind of pretty strenuous hike, I think you were mm -hmm. talking about yesterday. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what are things that, that have been important to you to... I mean, we all know how challenging it is, particularly, you know, with the, in the political environment, you know, the economic situation. Um, just the work environment can be, sometimes it can be toxic, sometimes it can be really, really stressful. Mm -hmm. What's worked for you? What, what have you found helpful in that area in terms of? Mm, I think the, for me, I think, and I think it's the same for many entrepreneurs, you have to be comfortable with uncertainty and you have to be comfortable with risk, um, whether you're in trying to move up in, 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 in a corporate environment and do something different. The people that have been most successful and that have you know, achieved their goals are people that really can embrace uh, a level of risk that other people can't. You'll find people that are in, uh, you, you've often heard from very successful corporate uh, executives at, at a certain point in their career, they took a risk. Mm -hmm. They didn't go with the sort of the high fashion, high visibility division. They went to this little podunk division that no one seemed to care about. That allowed them to move up quickly in that division. And then they thought about it differently and grew that unit, which gave them opportunity to do something else. So I think that's a key factor. Uh, is comfortability with risk, comfortability with an element of uncertainty. And I think, I think fundamentally you just have to believe uh, what you're doing and, and take a long-term view. You know, most entrepreneurs um, fail before they succeed. When you read, um, you know, the Press Inc. magazine, you, you read about the sort of 2,000 people that, you know, hit the ball over the fence on the first swing. What you don't read about is the 2 million you know, who failed. Yeah. Uh, and so when you look at the fact that seven, eight, nine, depending on the time frame you're looking at, out of 10 businesses will fail. Um, if you don't have the ability to take a long-term view, if it's, if it's, you know, this or bust, the probability is, is very much against you. However, if you're a person that sticks with it and can roll with the changes and you have the, uh, the flexibility and mental dexterity to pivot, uh, which is sort of a critical word that, you know, there's no failure that's really pivoting. Uh, if you have that ability, then, then in time, you know, time will be on your side and you'll be able to achieve what you're trying to achieve. You were talking about how you, how important it is for you, or for anyone to really believe in what he or she's doing. Yeah. And I'm wondering about what are the, some of the, kind of core values or principles or ethical foundation that really underpins those, um, those beliefs for you? What gives you that kind of the, that core strength that can give you the, you know, the, the power, if you like, to go, to take risks, to be present, to open to uncertainty? Yeah. What's important for you? Faith and just the belief that in the 
uh, in a life that has meaning and purpose, purpose-driven yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, I, I do believe that uh, in these days and times, there's a lot of discussion about integrity uh, in government and integrity in society and the erosion of integrity. I think having fundamental integrity of purpose um, is something that's very important to me. Uh, doing that which you believe in, not that which is politically expedient. Right. Uh, I believe it's important. You have to. I think you have to be the type of person that stands for something. Um, many people uh, are willing to um, sell away, for lack of a better word, their values for some momentary movement forward. In the long run, I just don't believe that is mm -hmm. successful. You pay a price for that. Uh, and you still may not, you may do a lot of that and you still may not get where you want to go. So I, I believe you have to believe in what you're doing. Uh, and I think you have to, those who are willing to search their heart and their soul and ask the question, you know, for what reason was I born? Mm. For what reason mm. am I on this earth? And when you come to an answer, whatever path that puts you on, that's the path you should follow. Mm. Beautiful. And... Have you felt at times, probably all of us have in some ways, kind of a, a, at a, either a turning point or a point of crisis where I don't know if I, can, if I can make the right choice or I don't know what to do in this situation. Sure. Talk about one or two times when you've been in that situation and how you've worked with that. Um, I've been in that situation a number of times. and I don't know anyone who sort of calls themselves an adult who hasn't been in that situation. Mm. Even when you look on the continuum of uh, mm. a growth of companies, there's this place called the Valley of Death where you sort of have enough money to prove your concept, but you don't have enough to commercialize it. And uh, in government, we talked a lot about that. You know, how do you fund? And, and obviously, there's a lot of written material on the best way to fund this place called the Valley of Death. Well, there's a Valley of Death in life. Mm -hmm. where you're, you're in this valley and you could be in for some reason, you could be in for a season, you can be there for a long time. And that sort of tests your mettle. Uh, can you see clear, can you be productive when you're in that? First, do you know you're in a valley? And then if you are in the valley, can you find ways to be productive while you're pushing yourself out? Um, mm -hmm. Again, I think it's about, um, for me, it's about surrounding uh, myself with people that are positive. Um, I'm not very good personally with negative negativity and negative energy. I've come to realize that if I meet people that are negative, that's fine for them, but they're not a part of my life assignment. So you get to the point where you jettison uh, people who try to bring their negative energy into your space uh, very quickly. Some people are very good at managing that, and, mm -hmm. and, but other people, they absorb that, and you can't have that if you are sort of in a crisis period in life and you're trying to pull yourself out. Family is indispensable. Mm -hmm. However you define that, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be your, your siblings or, or you know, immediate family. It could be people that are close to you that you trust and, and, and trusting to open and share your feelings, your mistakes, your shortcomings, your concerns, your fears. Um, uh, we all make mistakes, but you learn in life it's not the mistake you make, it's how you manage through it mm -hmm. or manage beyond it. 
and, and, and so people have a lot to do with that. And I'm just a big believer that, and my observation has been that um, people that ultimately achieve their goals have surrounded themselves with good people and have mechanisms uh, that they use to help them when they're in a period of conflict or a period of uh, uh, a low period in their life. Yeah. One of those things, it seems to me, is personal skills or practices, maybe beliefs as well. You talked about faith mm-hmm. as being one. You know, for me, um, for a long time, I've been a meditator and I practiced, you know, bringing awareness to experience to to know that um, how I meet, and you've said this in other somewhat different words, but how I meet this experience determines a lot my happiness, my freedom. Mm-hmm. Not so much just is it a good or a bad thing, but how am I responding? Mm-hmm. And there's a great quote from, I think, uh, Don Juan in Carlos Castaneda's books, you know, Teachings of Don Juan. He mm-hmm. says, the everyday person um, sees everything as a blessing or a curse. The spiritual warrior, you could say anybody who's on a kind of journey that we're talking about, sees everything as a challenge, mm. you know, so that nothing is beyond our capacity to deal with. Okay, it might knock us over, but, you know, that we can, we can get up and we can respond not through, oh, this is terrible, why did this happen to me? Or this is wonderful, I won the lottery, but more like, okay, how do I work with this? And for you... Do you have personal practices as well um, that that help you as well as, you know, family and faith? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, the practice of mindfulness, of, of just coming back to awareness of my body, of awareness of my emotions, awareness of my thoughts is a way of saying, okay, here I have a choice, mm-hmm. you know. My heart might be beating fast, but that doesn't mean, you know, that everything's, you know, gone to hell, that I can actually see that just as a, a phenomenon that's like, okay, I can breathe into that and respond and then engage with what's going on as a challenge. I'm wondering for you, what's, mm-hmm. what's been important for you in that regard? You well, know, I, I, I freely admit I am a tadpole in the river of mindfulness. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to meditate. I have not been successful. I know that it's going to be a journey. Um, I believe it. I think that people that engage in it are smart because they recognize there's something sort of deeper than self to move themselves out of these things. I mentioned things like, you know, sort of external things, family and so on and mm-hmm. so forth like that. But there's an entire realm of internal energy that we all have that many people don't tap into. Um, you know, it's sort of know it's there. You can maybe feel it. Uh, you can certainly feel it from other people when you feel people's energy, but it's tapping into that that reservoir uh, when you're on your journey that I think those people that do that are stronger. Um, certainly they have less stress. There's, there's uh, a mound of data that shows that. Yeah. So I am moving in the direction at my own pace of exploring those things, and yeah. hopefully I'll get there uh, <laughs> in true. time. But I'm just yeah. sort of... Yeah, and a, and a wonderful thing, I think, is that you can't really fail at it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you might, people often say, oh, I can't do this because my mind keeps wandering or I can't mm-hmm. focus. Well, all that is to say, well, just continue doing it. And if you continue doing it, things happen. You know, it's only the mind that's saying, oh, I can't do this or I'm not very good or, you know, other people can do it. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, for me, that's a great 
thing about these practices is that we can always come back and begin again. You know, it's a very a kind of liberating thing. It's like, okay, I, I stumbled, I fell over, but I can get up. This is a new moment. Yeah, you know? I agree. I think that's right. And what, what about um, people for you? Who's been important in your life as an in inspiration? I mean, obviously, President Obama was, was somebody who clearly played a, that role for you. Others in your life, in your family, and your, you know, others who you've worked with that have been a kind of a sense of giving you that, that kind of inspiration that, oh, yeah, this is somebody... I should pay attention here. I should kind of see what gives them the the strength, the 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 power to really continue, maybe through difficult times. Yeah, I've had a lot of them. Yeah, and there's, I think, um, I've observed many. I've traveled to many countries. I've had a chance to see many people. I've been blessed with having you know parents that I know. Uh, and many people take that for granted. I, you know, I don't because I know people who don't know who their parents are, their circumstances, or their parents died very early in their life and they didn't have the occasion. And I knew my grandparents. I can point to a lot of people. In fact, I think in some way, um, if, you're, if you're committed to listening, almost everybody you meet can inspire you in some way if you let them because everybody has a story to share or... A, could be the smallest piece of information that opens up your eyes to something you never thought about. And if it depends on how you define inspiration, I suppose. But for me, uh, I've learned a lot just from being available to hear people's stories and try to understand them yeah. uh, and try to reflect on them from my, uh, from my perspective. I would tell you probably one of the um, uh, most one of the things that over years I, I go back to when I sort of get in those moments where I feel sorry for myself is, and the only possession I have I care about is my grandmother's degree. She graduated from Bluefield, and mm. note the name, Bluefield Colored Institute mm. in 1926. Wow. And so now it's Bluefield University, but at that time it was the only place that, uh, you know, people of color could could go to college, one of the few yeah. places around the country at that particular time in history. So you have to look back at yeah. that and, and what people endured yeah. to get to this foundation upon yeah. which I stand. You, if you have a sense of history, you can't help but to be in a place of thankfulness. And if, you're in a, if you have a spirit of thankfulness, then all sorts of other things, I think, open up for you. So a beautiful, um, yeah, I think, understanding and the sense of really that that we're standing on the shoulders of people. And all of us are. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I get scared when I see so many people who actually think, they, we use these terms like self-made man or self-made yeah, woman. Right, right. Or, you know, you hear people talk about how they've done it on their own and no one helped them. <laughs> you know, I always snicker when I hear that right, because, right. you know, they're living in a bit of a delusionary world. There's not a person out here that is right. self-made. No one's done it on their own. Right. Nobody, you know, someone taught us how to do you know, some of the basic things, somebody, otherwise we, we couldn't do them. So, um, yeah. you know, I have a spirit, I'm thankful, uh, yeah. and I try to remember to be thankful, uh, in everything I do. Yeah. And that's that, that thing about being, being born on whole, on third base and thinking you've hit a triple. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> the, a, lot that's the funniest around. Yeah, there, there's <laughs> a lot of that going around. There's a lot of the, that going around uh, and, uh, 
Yeah, I, I think what you're saying about gratitude, thankfulness is, is so powerful. It kind of connects us with, with others and with life. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, my own sense is that we suffer when we're in this kind of isolated bubble. We think Absolutely. we're separate from, from other people or we think that everybody out there is a competitor to us mm-hmm. or competing for limited resources. Mm-hmm. And, and yet if we can come from a place of gratitude, a place of abundance, then there's all sorts of possibilities. And sure. it sounds, you know, very much what you're sharing is, you know, you, you're living from that place. And, I, I try, yeah. you know, you do have those moments where you can, I mean, we all look at our lives from the context of our experience. And so you hear people say, gosh, my life is so hard, or this is so hard, or that's so hard. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I've had people say, gosh, my parents didn't give me the money that they right. had promised. So my life's, you know, we're living it. We're living easy. I mean, we right. live in the, right. one of the richest, if not the yeah. richest country on the face of the earth. Right. It's not without problems and difficulties, but of all the countries you can live in, this is one of the better ones. And if you're born here, even though the system is not fair, we operate yeah. in an unlevel playing field. Right. There's still good opportunities yeah. here, and uh, and so I think gratitude, to your point, um, is necessary to have to be able to see all that the possibilities that surround you. If you don't see them, they don't exist. Right. And if your mindset is such that you can't see them, then uh, it, there's just nothing. You'll miss yeah. out on a lot. You know, I think of people like um, Nelson Mandela on Robin Island, you know, in jail for what would be, you know, his life, life imprisonment, not any prospect of getting out. And yet having the kind of the, the resolution and the courage to kind of say, well, this is my life. What can I do with it? What can I do, you know, and engaging even with the warders and, you know, seeing the possibility of... of changing people's hearts and yeah um i i feel very inspired by you know, have you been like to robin that. island have you seen a cell you know i haven't i've yeah. been i've been to other countries in africa i haven't been there yet I i've really been there go. you've I, been there I stood in yeah. a cell and it I was mean, like seven by ten yeah. foot or something and, and yeah. you sort of just you, you yeah. know we all hope to at some point achieve that level of inner peace that he yeah. had to just not be angry and not be hateful and not want to lash out to um you know he spent a good part of his life uh in his one of his uh in a small way his his goal was to force his his captors to actually like him uh which he ultimately succeeded in doing um it's a price that most of us won't pay in our lives for something we believe in but i do believe that you know you have to be willing to make those commitments because at the end of the day, he went from a prison cell to president. Yeah. Uh, and he had one of the most extraordinary lives of anyone who's ever lived right. in many respects. It was, right. you know, at the beginning it was very hard, but at the back end, the last 10, 15 years yeah. were, were pretty, pretty amazing. And what inspires me as well about him and people like him, you know, maybe it's a handful of people, Dr. King, the Dalai Lama, maybe a few others, um, is that it, the, it's a journey for them as well. Because we often think that in some way they have this kind of, you know, maybe magical quality of kind of deep 
whatever it is, kind of resilience or whatever, but I think almost all of them have actually gone through those difficulties, have gone through the fire really to get to where he was when in 1990 when he was released from, from prison. Mm-hmm. That, you know, as, as a revolutionary in the early 60s, late 50s and early 60s, he was quite a firebrand, you know, he mm-hmm. was angry and, you know, had all of those qualities, but I think worked on himself. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, a lot of what we're really interested in exploring is how we can transform ourselves. And I think you're really speaking to that. I think we're all Dr. Kings. I think we're all Dalai Lamas. We're all Nelson Mandela's. We all have that subject to the circumstances in our lives. Imagine if everybody said, I am, you know, a part of these great people and I'm going to conduct myself accordingly, how different their life would be. Yeah. You know, but I don't, I know a lot about, I don't know the Dalai Lama story. I know a fair amount about Martin Luther King's story. Um, I certainly know uh, about uh, President Obama's story. Uh, And Mm. these, so much of it has to do with how you manage that point in your life where you're at a crossroads. Uh, and 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 in many of the greatest people that we talk about, they simply had... They didn't have anything, so they didn't have anything to lose. I mean, Dr. King in particular, the reason why he was uh, asked to go to uh, Alabama Selma and deal with uh, the bus boycotts and things of that nature was he was 27 years old, and none of the senior ministers thought there was any opportunity there. So they said, let's kick it down to the the new guy. (laughs) And the new guy ended up changing, you know, the world and winning a Nobel Prize. Um, Yeah. Um, you know, so oftentimes it's a function of recognizing when you have an opportunity um, that may not look like an opportunity to anybody else but you, how you go about managing that moment in time. Lovely. You've talked about some of these things. I want to kind of just touch on a few other areas before we before we finish this afternoon. Um, Anything more you'd like to share about uh, core values? I think you've kind of spoke about, you know, the beliefs and integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's most meaningful to you in terms of um, helping you on your journey as you help others too? You know, yeah. I think you know you spoke about honesty and truth. I think and um, and and those things that support us. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you have to, I mean, there's many different values. I think, I think you have to believe, as I mentioned, you have to believe in yourself yeah. and you have to believe what you're doing um, has justification and merit. Um, I think you have to value time. It's the, you, you hear it all the time and, you know, you grow up hearing, you know, time is valuable. It's the only resource mm-hmm. you can't replace. But so many people will waste time throughout their lives. I think we've all would, for honest, will admit we've wasted um, larger chunks of our life than we would like to admit to. Mm. Um, but if there's a way you can help people understand that wasting time is wasting your most precious resource because it's absolutely finite and you don't know when it's going to get cut off. Right. So everything you do should be driven towards 
making your space, making those around you, making your your community, your country, the world better. Mm-hmm. And even if you do a little bit um, every day, that can add up to be uh, a lot. So what is it for you that helps you to, to remember that to, and not to waste time, to value time, to use it wisely and well? What helps you to do that? It's a very good question. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I, I think about it, and mm-hmm. I think sort of as you get older, you know, so there's a component of maturity that hopefully sets in that helps you recognize um, that, you know, you sort of have only so much time. Um, I look at it. I look at how I spend it. I think about the people I engage. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really ask the question, Is this something? are they a part of my assignment? Mm. Uh, and when you have that sort of base understanding of what your assignment is, yeah. then it becomes easier to recognize, is this person going to help? Is this person going to detract are they there for a reason? Are they there for a season? Are they there for a lifetime? Mm-hmm. Um, and not get caught up in the category, but sort of living in the present and valuing them. But if they're not positive and supportive and helpful and encouraging and challenging and, um, and willing to give to you, uh, as I hope you're, you should be willing to give back, but if they're not any of those things, that should sort of inform your judgment. Um, many people in the world are net takers, mm. uh, and I've had countless conversations about that. There are many people that just take, 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 take. Um, I generally, my experience has been those people are just not a part of your assignment. Mm. So you just you're wise to um, recognize that as soon as you can and move on. Just to, thank you. That, that's that's really really helpful. I think for all of us listening. Just to kind of go back a little in your life, um, in your early life, I mean, what were factors that seemed important to you and kind of helped you go in the direction that you ultimately went in and with the values and um, the goals that you've, that you've carried with you over, the, over these years? I've always just wanted to have an impact. I mean, mm. it, it, it's not anything more than that. Mm. Um, I've always been a dreamer. I've always wanted mm. to see the world. Part of that was my training, because as a kid, you know, my mother's friends, even though we didn't travel that much around the world, we traveled around the United States, that mm-hmm. opens up your eyes. Um, my, my grandmother sort of beat into me that education was your only way out. Yeah. That was their, that was the world in which they lived in and the limitations they lived in. So they naturally said, that's what you have to do. So we all sort of over-indexed on in, in uh, education, yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, parents had strong work ethics, so you observe that, and then you do those things. Uh, and it, I think for me, it's just always wanting to have some meaning. It, I think you feel these things in your core. Mm-hmm. And again, not feeling those things is not necessarily bad, because I believe that, as you know, Martin Luther King. You know, said if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the very best street sweeper right. you can. Right. So not everybody has to do the things that I'm interested in doing or the things you're interested in doing. Right. You just have to do it, and you have yeah. to do it, and should try to do it very well. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to 
be around very, very excellent people. Mm. Um, and while they weren't entrepreneurs, there was nobody in uh, my family that was financial or financially oriented. It's not, wasn't, it wasn't the environment. Um, people did really want to strive for excellence. And when you see that, it's not always conscious, but it leaves a subconscious print. And if you haven't had that, then one of the things that I always encourage people to do is you know, surround yourself with uh, the people that are being the I wasn't a good student. And so the very first thing I did when I went to college, um, I said, I'm only hanging out with A students. Mm -hmm. Because if I hang out with A students, I have a better chance of being an A, B student than a C, D student. Uh, because your environment really does make you set those standards and you reach for those standards. It's always like in basketball, I always tried to play with the bigger guys knowing that they would beat me up or, you know, and, and it was harder to play, but I knew I was going to get better playing with better players. Yeah. And that's always, you know, you know, going into government, I wanted to always try to be in the room with the president, be in the room with the vice president, be in the room because you can learn even if you only sit in the back and you can't say anything, yeah. being in that room really does help you get a better sense for what's going on and Hopefully. so on and so forth. And that's a choice. Yeah. Um, so I think that yeah. if you choose greatness, um, no, no matter how hard life may be for you, if you choose greatness, I believe in life, greatness will prevail. Mm, I believe. Well, maybe one question to finish off, and that's, if you could do one thing to make the world a better place, what would it be? Oh, it's funny, we had that conversation last night. Mm. Um, that's a conversation I asked after our hiking trip. Mm -hmm. What would it be that you would change? Um, it's a hard because there's so many things. Um, I, gosh, it's, I would change so much, but probably, um, one of the things that would be high on the list is civility. Just people being civil to each other. I'm concerned that our country is going in a direction where the divisions can get so great that people just stop listening and they just hear what they want to hear. Uh, and there's no more civility in, 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 our, in our dialogue and in our encounters with each other. That would be sad. If, if we get to the point where that leaves. So I, I think that civility uh, is important. On a side note, um, what I said in my other conversation was I'm very concerned about uh, the environment and particularly about the, um, the killing of animals for sport. Mm. Uh, I had the occasion to go on a safari and actually see uh, animals in their natural habitat. And it's something that you can't experience on... Animal Planet, you know, you can't see, you know, seeing stuffed animals and some makeup in there, but you, you have to be out there. And it would be very sad if gen future generations don't have the experience uh, to, to see animals and, and wildlife and its, its awesome beauty and its awesome power. One guy said, look, if you want to shoot, shoot a, shoot a picture. Don't shoot an animal. And yeah. over the past 50 years, whether it's rhinoceros or uh, tigers, lions, right. Right. the populations have dwindled so much yeah. because of, you know, commercial hunting. Yeah. Uh, and it would just be, I, I'm just really concerned about that. I think yeah. we have to preserve what we have for future generations because somebody preserved it for us. And um, 
So the health of our environment, the health of our world is something that's important to me. It seems like a very good good place to finish that 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 with that reflection on the on the future of our world and passing on a world that's livable to our children and our grandchildren. David Hinson, it's been a real pleasure speaking with pleasure. you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. you.